brother's belly. And then if we go on to read the rest of their story, we see that they continued in their bitter sibling rivalry, stealing from one another, trying to win favoritism from their parents, and eventually parting ways to lead two separate nations, the nation of Israel and the nation of Edom. They were enemies at war. If we read the Old Testament book of Obadiah, we find a prophecy that was given to the nation that Esau led, the Edomites, and this prophecy told about how they would be punished for their wrongdoings against the nation that uh, Isaac led, the Israelites. Now I tell this story because Old Testament scholars note that this is one of the only books of prophecy in the Bible where God doesn't mention any plans of extending grace. If you go back and read the book in comparison to other Old Testament books, you'll see that God would typically mention how he plans to spare a little of his punishment or, or, or give a nation a second chance or hold back and just, just extend some type of grace. But in Obadiah, when he's speaking to a brother that has abandoned and abused his family, when he's speaking to this man who prefers to be divided from his brother and watching him suffer, God doesn't mention the extension of any grace. And I think that's a biblical example that teaches us how much God hates disunity and why we as Christians are to stand against it together. I think it teaches us that as Christians, we should never separate over issues that are secondary to the gospel, but we should strive to be unified in conviction, unified in identity, and we should be unified in the purpose that we all serve. In the book of Corinthians, Apostle Paul is addressing a group of Christians who they had many issues going on in their churches. Instead of influencing culture, they were being influenced by culture, and instead of loving one another, they started to argue over these uh, cultural issues. So the city of Corinth was this place where uh, people would gather, and there were these big celebrities that would come in and put on big concerts and big shows, and, and, and we can say that Corinth was kind of like modern-day Hollywood. So everyone who had lived there had kind of secluded themselves, and they basically became groups of paparazzi, and they'd only hang out with the other people that supported the celebrity that they did. So today it'd be like having a fan club where uh, Brad Pitt, his fan club, refuses to associate with the fan club of Denzel Washington. Or like uh, Tom Brady's fans absolutely despising the fans of Peyton Manning. So eventually the Church of Corinth, they started to follow suit with this trend of fan clubbing. Because one form of popular entertainment during that time uh, was entertainment of, of uh, oratory presentation. So this basically means that people would show up at these theaters and there would be these men who give these, uh, tell beautiful stories and give these beautiful narrations and the people loved it. So it, it was like going to the movies today. So the people in the churches of Corinth, they started to view their pastors and the sermons that they were hearing in the same way. And there were four prominent church leaders that they identified themselves with. They identified with Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and the fourth being Jesus himself. So where it gets back to Paul that this is taking place and that the church is experiencing division over arguments about which leaders were better and which leader was more worthy of being followed. And then in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 1, he says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. I want Something we should note really quickly is that Paul uses the term brothers and sisters. Now, this does two things. The first thing he's doing is he's establishing himself as these people's family in Christ. So he's emphasizing that there's to be unity amongst them because they're family. 
He's, he, Acts 18 tells us that Paul spent over a year with these people. So this wasn't an informal relationship. These were people that he actually knew. And the second thing he's doing is he's taking himself out of this authoritative position. So he's saying, look, I'm speaking to you as an equal. When you hear from me, don't hear from me as this oratory individual that should be uh, patted on the back for the way that I present. But hear from me as a brother who thinks that we should be unified as a church of Christ. And once Paul establishes himself as a brother, he then goes on to encourage that they do away with this division and be united in understanding and conviction. So what understanding and conviction is Paul talking about? If we look back up at verse 2, we see that Paul greets the Corinthians by referring to them as saints who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul makes it clear in his greeting that he's talking to anyone who professes Christianity. Therefore, the understanding or conviction that he's urging them to be united in is the understanding and conviction that Jesus is Lord and Savior. So Paul urges them to be united in this because this was the establishment of their relationships. If the church, he was writing to churches, if the church was to stop believing or or to lose the basis of conviction that Jesus is Lord, then there would be no more church. And if you go back and count, you'll see that Paul has already used the name Christ 10 times by the time he gets to verse 10. So he's putting all focus on Jesus. He's putting all focus on Jesus as as Lord, and he's saying Jesus is the focus, Jesus is the answer, he's the solution to all our problems. But remember the Corinthian church, they were struggling in this area because they'd become so consumed with the church leaders that you'd think the basis of conviction were centered around Paul or Apollos or Cephas. You think they were the center of of salvation as opposed to Jesus being the center of salvation. They'd forgotten that they weren't united by the messenger, but they were united by the message. Then in the verses 11 through 12, Paul says that it had been made clear to him that there was rivalry amongst the people because they were claiming loyalties to some human church leader. And in all honesty, this is still a problem in some of our churches today. See, the Corinthian people, they wanted to identify with the church leader that they felt would make them more relevant or that they felt could make them uh, be superior to the other groups in the church. And some of us still do this. You know, we may not divide over the pastors within our own local church, but we live in a day and age where there's so many celebrity pastors. And it's, it's, it's way too easy for us to get caught up in which celebrity pastor we follow and how many of their books we've read. Or if it isn't the celebrity pastors, what about politicians? Voting time can be really uh, divisive in churches if we're not careful. And I'm not saying that uh, there's anything wrong with us appreciating the leadership that God gives us in men and women. But what I am saying is if a brother or sister doesn't agree with how quality of a leader someone is, then we shouldn't allow that to make us lack the conviction, the unified conviction. That should be the primary conviction in our lives. Because the primary conviction should be that our lives, that that we are sinners who've been saved by the blood of Christ. You see, that in itself is a beautiful thing because, and and it should cause us to be overwhelmed with joy because we, we honestly shouldn't even have the mental capacity to be distracted by this need for relevance. See, Jacob, the younger brother in the Old Testament story, he eventually grew up to trick his twin into selling him his birthright. This was a big deal in the the culture of that day because at the center of the birthright was the the blessings that the father would leave a son once he had died. 
So Jacob chose to be deceitful so he could feel relevant. He, he, he wanted to inherit more from his, from his father than he was lawfully supposed to. He deceived his brother to take what was lawfully his. One of the blessings that we have as Christian guys is, is we can find joy knowing that through Christ, our father has already provided a birthright. He's already provided an inheritance that exceeds any level of desire that any of us could have. And we don't have to be deceitful for it to be ours. We just have to submit our lives to Jesus. I mean, what joy is there in knowing that we have a God, a father who knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows all of our sinfulness, but because he loves us so much, he still provided Jesus as our ticket to receive his inheritance. And it's an inheritance that's so big. It's such a great inheritance that it's more than enough for all of us in this room. See, we don't have to worry about lacking when we inherit from God, our great father. But some of us may not be at a place where we've accepted the inheritance yet. And at the end of the service, there's going to be a time of of invitation. If you're in this room and, and you've not made Jesus Lord of your life, then I beg you to do that before you leave this place today. I beg you to surrender your life and receive the inheritance of our father. So as we move on in verse 13, we'll see that Paul asked the people. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in Paul's name? Now, these are rhetorical questions. And I find it interesting that the first name Paul mentions when he when he asks these questions is the name of Christ. See, Paul asked that question, is Christ divided? And he knows the answer is obviously no, but he asked this so that his readers would think to themselves, man. You know, we call ourselves Christians, which which means little Christ. But if we really are little Christ, then we're supposed to reflect him. And Jesus came to unify and unite and bring people together. But here we are in our churches, we're separating and dividing. Research shows uh, that another reason Paul uses the name Christ here is because even the Corinthians who identified themselves as the ones who belonged to Christ, they were doing so because they, they saw this claim as something that would elevate them above the rest of the church. So they created this fan club for Jesus, but the fan club wasn't about Jesus. It was more about the members of the fan club. One of the things we talked about with our students uh, this week is um, the salvation we received is not only about us, but it's about us rejoicing in that salvation with others who've also received it. See, Jesus didn't die this painful death of crucifixion so that those who follow him could receive the gift of eternal salvation and then run off to a corner by themselves never to celebrate and rejoice in that gift with their brothers and sisters who've also received it. It's sinful for us to think that being Christian doesn't mandate us to be a part of community. And once we accept the gift of salvation, we're adopted into God's family and we receive a common identity. And unless we forfeit that ourselves, that identity remains what allows us to be unified. So I like to look at it this way. When we become Christians, when we're adopted into God's family, it's like we're all given a name badge. It's like Jesus hands us a name badge that says Christian. He's like, here, you're mine. But what some of us do is we take off that name badge and we put on the badge that we think fits us better. So some of us, we may put on a name badge that says a Democrat or doctor or fireman, stay-at-home parent, working parent. For students, it may be I'm an athlete, I'm a gamer, 
the student that makes honor roll every time. Whatever it may be, whether it be good or bad, we like to make our own badges instead of wearing the badge that Jesus has given us. But this is a problem, and it causes division because what we start doing is we start coming to church, and we look to see whose name badge looks better than ours today. When in all honesty, if we just keep on the badge that Jesus gave us, all of our badges would be the pinnacle of identity, and it would allow us to have unified identity. In verses 14 through 16, Paul goes on and he says, I thank God. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanas, but beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. So we've got Paul here, who we know would have surely loved to baptize someone into the family of Christ. But he actually tells these people, he's like, I'm, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of them because the act of baptism had become more about identifying with a human being and, and more about having this testimony of, oh, yeah, I'm one of Paul's guys or I'm one of Apollo's guys. You know, I belong to, to, to the Cephas party. It become more about that for the Corinthians than it was about being one of Jesus's guys. They made it about the leader that they were being baptized by instead of the leader that they were being baptized to. And Paul's saying, man, you know, I'm glad it wasn't me who baptized y'all because then y'all would be using my name to identify yourselves. And he said, quite frankly, I don't care for my ministry to be about my name. I want my ministry to be about the name of the Lord. Our identity shouldn't be about ourselves, guys, but they should be all about our Savior. And there's only one Savior, and because there's only one Savior, we all share one identity. And that identity is the identity of being God's people. Martin Luther, the man who uh, jump-started and kicked off the Reformation, he found out that those who followed him and enjoyed uh, the teachings that he did had started calling themselves uh, Lutherans. Well, when he found out, he got upset about it, and he was quoted saying, What is Luther? The teaching is not mine. How did I, poor stinking bag of maggots that I am, come to the point where people call the children of Christ by my evil name? And another reality is that we may not be identifying with the name of a person anymore, but a lot of us carry identities that pledge loyalty to some other evil thing. See, some of us, we, we divide over issues like our, that, that, that are lifestyle issues. Like, you know, I can only hang out with this church member because, you know, we're both Panthers fans. Or, I can't go fellowship with that brother because he doesn't like to go fishing. Or, look, she and I can't get together because she doesn't homeschool their kids. Or for us students, it may be, look, he's not an athlete, so we can't hang out. They don't sit at the popular table at school. So I can't fellowship with them. We've got all these different issues that we identify with before we identify with Christ, and that's a problem. See, Paul's telling them, look, your baptisms, this holy sacrament, it was supposed to symbolize your pledge to follow the one who came to restore unity. But instead, it's caused disunity. He's saying, look, y'all have got it all wrong. And hear me when I say, you know, this doesn't mean that we've got to be uh, just like everyone that we go to church with. You know, we don't necessarily have to agree on everything with those that we call our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not all Christians are going to be exactly the same. But being baptized into God's family, that does give us all a common ground that should outweigh any of the differences between us. 
Some of you may have noticed when I just introduced my fiance that um, she's white. I'm black, <laughs> in case y'all didn't know. And not only am I black, but I'm black and I'm from southern Georgia. I grew up fishing, riding goat carts, and eating fried chicken. <laughs> and not only is Lauren rock, well, white, but her roots don't exactly go back to the deep south like mine do. See, her, fam her, her parents are from uh, Indianapolis and New England. And I can remember a time earlier in our relationship where uh, we'd only been dating for a few months, and I'd only visited with her family a few different times, and I get a break from school, so I'm there in Virginia, and I'm spending some time with, with her and her family. Well, we sit down for dinner, and her mom starts bringing out the different dishes to the table. You know, I, I like food, so I start getting excited. You know, I look at this dish, and, man, I can smell that one. I look at that dish over here, and I can see the juice glistening. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready to dig in, man. And then her mom comes back, and she brings a dish to the table, and it was something that I'd never seen before. She brought out a plate of artichokes. Where I'm from, we don't eat artichokes. <laughs> if something has the name choke in it, you don't just go around putting that in your mouth. <laughs> so she sits the dish down, and, and I'm kind of confused because not only am I wondering, okay, is this a table decoration or is that food? But I'm wondering, like, if it is food, how do I actually eat this thing? You know, you can't just look at artichokes and figure out how to eat them because they're not just self-explanatory. So I figure it out. I get smart and I say, you know what? I got it. I got it. I'll let everybody else start eating theirs. I'll watch really closely. And then I'll just mimic what they do. You know, it can't go wrong, right? I don't want to look dumb because I've never eaten an artichoke. So I try it. And I'd watch everyone pluck a leaf. They dip it in butter. They put it in their mouths. They pluck a leaf. They dip it in butter. They put it in their mouths. So after a few minutes of observation, you know, I feel like I'm ready. This is it. This is my big moment. I'm going in. So I, I pluck a leaf. I dip it in butter. I put it in my mouth. And I start chewing. Well, after a while, I'm still chewing. <laughs> See, I didn't realize that I missed a step in the process. Because what Lauren and the rest of her family was doing is, is they pluck a leaf, they dip it in butter, but when they got to the mouth part, they use their teeth to skin the part that you're supposed to eat away. They eat that, and they put the rest of the leaf back on another plate. Apparently, that's why artichokes are called artichokes, because if you don't do it the right way, you'll chew till you choke. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> so I'm not sure if Lauren noticed that I was still chewing the same leaf, or if she just wanted to make conversation. But she eventually looks over, and she goes, babe. Have you ever eaten artichokes before? I'm like, no. <laughs> I, I'm from Georgia. We don't just go around eating artichokes. So they ended up showing me the ropes. They showed me how to eat artichokes, and, and I learned something new that day, and I actually enjoyed them. But I tell that story for this reason. Lauren and I, as well as any other couple, we'll probably continue to run into things like that for the rest of our lives. See, we're two separate people, and though we've got tons in common, our backgrounds also make us a little different. So I have to learn some things that are normal to her. She'll have to learn some things that are normal to me. And we'll work through those things. But I can speak confidently in saying that though we are different in a lot of ways, we've never loved anyone else more in our entire lives. 
And see, that's possible because we have a common ground that outweighs all the differences between us. That common ground is that we're both blood-bought sinners who've been given undeserved salvation. See, Lauren could have looked at me and been like, oh, doofus, you never eaten artichokes before. But there was a time where she'd never eaten artichokes before as well. And I think that that, that, t- that teaches us that in the church as Christians, when there are people that are new to the body or new to their faith, we should be compassionate and sincere in the way we deal with the things that they don't know about serving the Lord just yet. And when the church realizes that, when we as a church realize that we're all broken people gathered together because we've been saved by Jesus, it's then that we can fulfill the purpose that comes out of our common ground. See, in verse 17, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will, be empty, will not be emptied of its effect. So Paul's saying, look, that baptism stuff, that's very important, but that's not it. The preaching that we're doing, it has to happen, but that's not it. All of this stuff, the baptism, the preaching, the churches you're a part of, it all exists for one reason, and that reason is to show Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. See, one of the reasons Christ came to earth was to unify his people with one another. He wanted to unify his people together while reconciling them to the Father. But we minimize the cross's effect when we divide in the very place that we're supposed to be unified. See, these people had begun finding more joy in how well a preacher's words were placed than they were in the gospel that the preacher was preaching. And Paul says, man, that doesn't matter. If I come to you and all my focus is to sound good or to use big, pretty words, then I'm devaluing the very thing that I'm supposed to speak about. Church, when we take issues and make them more about ourselves than about revealing the glory of Christ, we cause division between us and we forfeit this purpose of being able to help others see the glory of Christ. Paul's ministry was about introducing people to Jesus as their savior. He wasn't about preaching for the people's entertainment. He was about preaching for the people's enlightenment. And as Christ follows today, we've also been given this purpose of enlightening those who, who, who are lost. And, 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 and we can't do it if we're divided. So we've all got this purpose to highlight the effects of the cross. But we must be unified in doing it. There are people all over this world, in our communities, and they're living their lives on a direct route to hell. And we're supposed to be the ones that demonstrates God's love to them. But if there's division within the church, if we allow issues in our own lives to to cause us to separate and not love one another, then how do we expect these people to want to come and be a part of that? If they can't see God's love in the relationships that are already here, then they're not expecting to experience God's love if they come here themselves. And I mentioned the time of response earlier. And there may be some of you in the, in the crowd right now that are, want to experience God's love yourself as a part of this church family. So if you're here and you're a visitor and you'd like to join in the way of membership, or if you're here and, and the Lord has spoken to you through God's word and, and, and you'd like to give your life to the Lord, or if you're here and, and you've given your life to the Lord, but you realize, man, I'm not doing some things right. I've been living with division as opposed to living in unity. Then Pat, uh, Pastor Patrick and Pastor Rick are going to come down front and I 
invite you guys to come and pray with them and just take the next step of faith. As the band plays, if you are sitting in your seats and the Lord's speaking to you about something, then don't ignore that. So God, we thank you that you and your sovereignty have given us one another. You've shown us grace in areas where we've been disobedient to the commands you've given to love one another. We pray that you can continue to reveal to us what it looks like to abide in Christ-centered community. Allow us to continue to understand that it's not just about our joy, but it's also about our sanctification and about us demonstrating your love to those who need to experience the joy of knowing you. We thank you that you're sovereign over all things, Lord, including our relationships. And we surrender even those to you. It is in your son's name that we pray. Your son's unified name that we pray. 